Hello and welcome to the Experience Lounge podcast. I'm Sasha. I'm Laura. And we're here to talk all things employee experience, experience design, future of work and digital HR. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome back to episode five of season two of the Experience Lounge podcast. I hope you are all doing well. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode as we are continuing to explore the highs and lows of HR tech implementations and all the fun that comes with employee experience centric EX. HR tech. So um, a huge thank you once again. Before we get into this very exciting episode, Laura, how has your week been? It's been good. I mentioned in the last episode that we'd been traveling around loads. So we've had a couple of weekends at home and it was Halloween this weekend. So took my son to his first pumpkin patch, which haven't been able to do in Singapore because as far as I know, they don't have them. Um, But it was really fun. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) they do have enjoyed it. Do they? Did I miss that? Oh, no. It's not a pumpkin patch. What I mean is they have them in cold storage if you're willing to spend $50 on one tiny half-rotten pumpkin. Which I wouldn't be. <laughs> like, this is this I'm talking, like, proper farm, pumpkins everywhere, Instagram-worthy. That's what I'm talking about. So, not the same thing. Mm, yeah, well, I think it's quite a new thing in the UK even, though, right? I think it started off in the US... And then it yeah. transitioned its way, as as these like Insta fads do, right? She mm. says, as someone who does love Instagram, but yeah, <laughs> it um, will look cute. It will look cute. Yes. How about you? How's your week been? Yeah, it's been good. My parents are here, so I am surviving, thriving, mainly thriving, <laughs> which is good. Um, so yeah, no, just I'm loving it. You know, after almost two years of being apart, it's just so nice, and it's making me so excited to go back for Christmas. So I am, I'm very good actually. And UAT has come to an end. We're now preparing for deployment and training, and all of that good stuff in my project. So I'm, I'm feeling good. So, um, so yes. And how are you navigating? Because this is one of the questions I had: the two-person dining rule with your parents. Do you just pick which one is your favorite that day? And then sit mm. with, and then your husband sits with the other one. Yes, <laughs> just exactly. Yeah, okay. that's exactly how it works. Who's my favourite? Who's and my favourite today? I, yes, I think okay. we could have probably had a more, you know, slightly democratic process going on. I don't know, maybe just names in a hat or something like that. Or we could just maybe even place votes. I don't know. But no, this is very much me and my mood when we arrive at the restaurant that will dictate who sits with who. So, but yes, it's going well. Had they been to Singapore before? Never. First time. Oh, exciting. Yeah, really exciting. exciting. So I've been oh, loving amazing. it. But as much as I'm excited about my parents being here, I'm also excited about the fact that we had an amazing guest speaker join us for this episode, which is so fantastic. Um, unfortunately, a few things to note here. Laura unfortunately couldn't make it. Timings didn't work out for us. And so this interview is just myself and the wonderful Casey, who I will introduce in a second. And also my audio issues have plagued me again and have followed me into episode five. So um, the audio is slightly off for me, but it's not too bad because you are not listening to me. You are listening to the wonderful Casey share with us her amazing insights and um, inspiration. So we're going to jump into that interview. I have to say it's so fantastic, but before we do, here's a quick bio on Casey. So Casey Hotham is a passionate human experience leader who has held a prosperous career in Tesla for nearly two decades, currently leading Australia's largest technology company's future workplace experience, 
Casey is obsessed with simplifying and optimizing workplace experiences across human connection capabilities, tech and tools, and workspaces. Being data-driven, experience-led, and business-focused, she is harnessing employee feedback and industry trends to deliver experiences that enable employees to live their best life at the place they want to work. Prior to this role, head of employee experience and years spent as a business partner delivering value-add outcomes aligned to business strategic priorities. Engineering, construction, field service delivery, contact centers, and retail are areas of the business where Casey has achieved tangible outcomes in employee experience, leadership, and talent development, implementing major organizational change initiatives, organizational design, performance, capability building, employee relations, and well-being. And it goes without saying that she is super impressive, um, really amazing, and leading the way at Telstra, which I know so many of us, especially across the conference sphere this year, have just really admired her insights and the time that she's given um, to kind of share with us what she's doing in the EX space. So love this discussion and enjoy. Hello, Casey. How are you doing? Oh, wonderful. Thanks, Sasha. Yourself? Yeah, not so bad. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Before I dive into all the questions we have planned for you today, how was your weekend? Uh, it was wonderful. Thanks. I am blessed to live in sunny Queensland. Um, and so the weather's been amazing. So I got to spend quality time with family and friends, um, which always helps to fill the cup on the weekend. So yeah, back into it today, rearing to go with work. Fantastic. Well, thank you for making time for us on the podcast and we're super excited to talk to you I think it's so nice to be able to connect with other people leaders in the employee experience space and yours is certainly one that is very high profile and I'm sure lots of people will be really interested to hear about your views on this very important topic which is how do we ensure we're getting and driving continuous improvement from our employee experience technology investments and this is part of an ongoing series as I'm sure people um, know by now so let's start off with a nice question an easy one to warm up which is what excites you the most about employee experience technology and what are some of the emerging trends you're seeing in the market particularly in the ex tech space that make you super excited about the future of work yes so much to be excited about um i think sasha especially with you know, coming out of finding our way through a, a new normal uh, with COVID and so many opportunities um, that I really think organisations should take the opportunity and capitalise on. But think about in a remote and hybrid work setting, um, you know, technology continues to have even more of a direct impact on the day-to-day uh, work of our employees and I guess how they collaborate uh, really effectively together. Uh, one thing we can be sure of is the rapid pace at which technology is evolving. And so it's really fascinating uh, to watch, I guess, what we've learned today, but to, to get excited about what the future holds. In regards to the question about a few trends, so Gartner's um, released um, a recent report, and I guess I'll highlight maybe three of the um, key trends that we're seeing, and I guess what we're looking to I guess, experiment and test with uh, in, the coming, in the coming time. So Firstly, it's around this whole concept of total experience um, and how organisations are going to need to think about the experience much more holistically than what some may have done so in the past. And as you think about that in terms of interactions, it becomes so much more mobile, virtual and distributed. And I guess simply putting it, you know, it strives, if I think about total experience, it's really a way to strive to create superior shared experiencing by interlinking data, whether that's across customer data, employee data, kind of end user. 
I guess what's exciting is that this environment really gives way to things like smart spaces. Uh, so, you know, smart offices, smart factories, smart cities, uh, et cetera, that really enable employees to interact um, with all of these devices around them in a really singular yet integrated experience. And I think furthermore, in the modern workplace, you know, employees expect flexibility um, and kind of control. And if I think about frontline employees specifically who, inter you know, interact directly with our customers on a regular basis, I guess importantly, as we look to really identify kind of moments of shared experiences and the employee and the customer journey, and really an opportunity for businesses to better strategize how to create, you know, great shared digital experiences uh, for both employees and customers leading to kind of, you know, transformational business outcomes. So that's one key theme um, that we're watching with uh, interest and thinking about the role that we can play in that. The second, again, and I think this has come to life so much more through our COVID experience, is what they're terming anywhere operations. And so that really describes more of a business operating model, um, you know, designed to reach customers anywhere, enable our employees anywhere, and use digital technologies to really deliver business services anywhere. And so, you know, you think about this type of uh, technology really changes the conventional kind of wisdom and understanding that it's necessary to be in a specific uh, location, such as interacting face-to-face, -face, um, but to really be able to maximise value and efficiency. Uh, and I think with that, you know, operations kind of anywhere needs to, I think a prerequisite needs to be a real digital first location independent mindset. And I think that will be important as organisations continue to support a hybrid working model through which employees and customers can can really connect in a meaningful way. And while we're talking about hybrid working models, I um, also think what gets me excited about some of the stuff that we've seen evolve in the tech space is around um, how people you know, are looking to collaborate more effectively from anywhere that they might be. So I think a need for greater online collaboration tools to support people to collaborate effectively. I mean, today we've seen technologies such as Jira, Confluence, Miro, Mural playing a critical role to support um, our people to be able to collaborate. And I anticipate that will only continue to grow. And then the last one, I, I'm pretty passionate about this in terms of process optimization, and they term it hyper automation. And that's really the idea that anything that can be automated in an organization should be automated. And that really combines technologies like AI, machine learning, robotic process automation to really drive efficiencies. And then, you know, a couple of other things keenly watching is, you know, biometrics. So hello to no more passwords, plus augmented, you know, virtual reality experiences that the coming to life of digital humans and the way that, you know, provide support to employees um, and create kind of enhanced um, experiences throughout the employee life cycle. So in summary, I think a lot to be excited about, um, but importantly, organisations needing to ensure that they're investing in the digital schools um, to really be able to keep pace the ever-changing technology landscape. Wow, that was incredibly inspiring, I think, for a lot of organisations, especially those that are maybe starting out on their experience tech or their experience investment journey. I think you mentioned so many things that for many of us and even the clients I work with are totally aspirational. Um, and I'm sure for many, but I loved what you said around moments of shared experience. And I really think that that is the future of this kind of experience portfolio in, in an organization is, is, you know, at the moment we talk about CX, EX and some linkage between the two, but you, you know, you really touched on that whole, how do we curate shared experiences and what does that look like from a technology perspective, which I think is, 
is really awesome. And um, I totally agree with you, collaboration tools. I, I don't know about you, but I think some of the clients I've spoken with and just others in the industry, I think there's a real wave of consolidation and refinement of collaboration tools as well, right? So lots of people getting excited about small solutions that can be easily implemented to make a difference like Mural and Miro, as you say, you know, that makes a huge difference to a lot of teams, but also kind of rationalizing collaboration tools as well. Are you seeing something similar? Yeah, we, we've definitely been on a journey um, in that space, Sasha. I do think it's important, again, as you um, look to rationalize and ensuring that it's the critical few components, you know, around collaboration to most technology, to be uh, quite honest, you know, to give people what they need to do their job effectively. You know, the the risk is that you create a, this whole suite or library list of all these different technologies. And in some ways, people actually just want clarity to say, tell me what I need to use in order to get this job done most effectively. And so I think it is a balancing act for organisations to create, you know, tools and tech that are really meaningful, but again, give clarity to what your people actually need them for um, will be important. Mm, yeah, fabulous. Okay, so a lot of EX initiatives, as we have just touched on, have technology elements to them, sorry, whether that's brand new solutions or optimizing, as we've kind of said, you know, whether that's reconsolidation or whatever it is of existing technology. What do you think organizations need to prioritize when embarking on any kind of technology enabled experience project, whether that's employee experience, dedicated or total experience? as you said earlier the first one I always say is know what you're solving for have you spent enough time in the data to really create clarity around uh, what the opportunity is you know what experience data are you using to really understand the opportunity do you have hypotheses that you want to be able to test you know does it align strategically to your company's um, like experience ambition I think my experience is that we sometimes are quick to jump to ideation uh, and I think it's important um, especially when you make not only just um, resource but also financial investments in the space is that spend enough time so you've got a clearly articulated opportunity statement uh, before you jump to solutions so invest you know ample time to ensure you clearly understand what you're solving for so that's always my first point the second is really around defining what your success outcomes are and including the metrics and doing that upfront again. So as you think about, you know, is it time saved and productivity efficiencies? Is it reducing cost to serve? Is it about net promoter score? But defining, you know, what does success really look like and what metrics will you hold yourself accountable in order to kind of measure um, along the way with, you know, key milestones. The third, um, and I'm really passionate about this, is using human-centered design techniques. So, you know, the discipline of really developing solutions in service of your people. Uh, and there's a multitude of um, techniques that you can use, you know, in order to help you do that right from, again, getting clear on the problem opportunity or the opportunity to solve for, right through to being able to really test um, once you've launched and embed uh, a different, whether it's a product, a service, um, or a process. And so having your people engage right from the outset, right throughout the life cycle management of the work that you're doing to ensure that it is very much with experience at, at its heart. And then the last one, again, uh, a bit of a passion for me is around really strong change management. Uh, and when you think about that, you know, is it new skills that you need to um, be able to help you know, your employee population to build clear articulation of what's in it for your employees. I think, you know, like anything, people are much more inclined to gravitate to change when they understand what's in it 
for them. And I think that's just really important. I mean, technology is such a great enabler um, of immersive experiences, but if not carefully planned, can leave those less digitally savvy behind as well. And I think that's really important when you think about fairness and equity in terms of making sure that you have a really strong kind of change management and potentially kind of learning skill build plan and behind that. So many good points. And if Laura were here, she would I know she'd be nodding her head profusely, especially at your point around, you know, making sure you've got really clear measures and you understand the problem you're solving for. We've spoken about that so often. And of course, the human centered design thinking elements as well. Just coming back to that first point around framing the problem and knowing what we're solving before we get too excited about technology and, you know, so consumed by the really fancy demos that we get from the vendors all the time. (laughs) What kind of advice would you give to EX practitioners or HR leaders listening in terms of defining that problem statement? Are there certain data points or sources that you would recommend looking at? Yeah, it can vary somewhat. I always start, I always start with the experience. So what's the experience that you're creating? Because for the most part, a lot of our initiatives are in service of enhancing our employee experience. So therefore, they can enhance that of our customers' experience as well. And so, again, not necessarily because it's the most important, but having that kind of as a center point around your approach uh, and knowing the data that you're using. If I give an example, like onboarding, and I've used, you know, starting with the NPS data, like how do you currently understand what the, um, ex- the lived experiences, so not the experience that a product owner would typically articulate that would um, occur, mm-hmm. albeit you'd love for them to be aligned because ultimately they should, but the reality is sometimes that does not happen. Um, and so I'm big on understanding the lived experience of a process, a policy, um, or an initiative or technology and starting there. And then from that, you're better my experience and your ability to better articulate okay so what's the flow on kind of cost implications is it a time you know is there productivity efficiencies that you can gain from that because you've now reduced um, a process from I don't know 10 steps that a leader used to take now they've only got two so you know and how does how do you look at all of those relevant data points around yeah touch points are there unnecessary approvals in a process you know in order to think about from a starting point of the problem therefore where do you want to be so now you understand what your gap is to solve for um, and go after that in a really deliberate way though and making sure again you're holding holding clear the opportunity that you've got at hand to solve for and it's, it's okay to be flexible I think as well though Sasha along the way I think it's important as things continue to change which is why again I'm big on success outcomes and metrics but kind of using them as your temperature check along the way to understand the lived, I was talking about the lived experience uh, of what a process or policy uh, is creating. But the reality is we're in a business. And so, yes, for the most part, experience is so critical. But so too is, you know, the you know financial investments, the productivity opportunities. And the more, if I just go back to the point made about these shared experiences, you know, when you can connect changing X for your employee also changes Y for Uh, your customer experiences it's a really powerful way in order to engage the business and help them understand kind of the investment required because for a lot of the cases it does require money to you know to invest when you're um, putting in place initiatives or new technology the better you can articulate that with a really clear problem statement up front I think the better so again my recommendation though is keep to the critical few um, data points to help you drive 
the story you're trying to tell to the business about what's you know the opportunity that exists um, versus a laundry list of <laughs> a laundry list of metrics that sometimes might get lost along the way. So short, sharp, and kind of to the point on, on what really matters. Yeah, absolutely, couldn't agree more. And I think you know some of the feedback we've received on previous episodes we've done is that the whole measurement piece i mean that's a whole beast in itself we could probably talk at length about what are the most appropriate measures of success and you know what advice would you give there but i definitely think some of the feedback we receive is it's quite intimidating because i think for a lot of for a lot of hr practitioners and and newly found kind of ex leaders it's a new concept, you know, we've been so used to as a HR function, looking at things that, you know, lagging measures like attrition, some EMPS, depending on how mature they are with HR service delivery. Um, but I definitely think there's room to maybe help e- the EX sphere develop or mature in that EX measurement space as well, which I think, you know, we'll save that for another episode. But no, I really appreciate you touching on that topic. And you also touched on human centered design thinking, which we absolutely love both Laura and I and we're huge advocates for it, you know, and actually being able to continue to design collaboratively in a virtual setting is so important. From your perspective, what excites you the most about human centered design thinking? And do you see this becoming more I guess, embraced within the HR and people function? Yeah, and I, I think I've seen a shift in that direction already, Sasha. Uh, we have got a big focus, um, you know, in terms of it's as a, like a priority in terms of how we go about our work uh, across health functions. I, I do think it's really important. I just love, you know, just having the voice of our employees in the room with us. So, you know, there's no longer are we there. I think what used to be described in the HR function is up in our ivory tower designing products and processes um, without really understanding how it's going to feel. And I think especially when you have a really diverse workforce, so if I think about um, ourselves, it is really diverse. And so you've got to be able to have a level of empathy across the different needs of of your, you know, of the personas in, in your workforce. And so just bringing voices in, um, diverse voices, uh, is just so important. And I, I truly think it'll be, it'll continue to be um, a way in which we can uh, really bring like meaningful experiences um, to our people's lives going forward. So, but I've definitely seen a shift to date, but I think we've got still got a lot of opportunity to continue to do that, you know, going forward. Mm, yeah, awesome, couldn't agree more. So coming back to the topic of EX technology and EX projects, a huge part of any project is that continuous improvement piece after go live or launch. However, the concept of driving continuous improvement isn't always a priority. And I've certainly seen that in the project sphere. You know, we focus so much on go live and getting everything ready that sometimes we almost go into this kind of rehab phase where we don't want to even consider continuous improvement for a couple of months. Um, And that can lead to a gradual decline in ROI and EX impact over time. How do you think organisations can continue to drive continuous improvement when it comes to EX initiatives or projects of any kind? Yeah, I think it just it has to be seen as a critical part of the initiatives or the project success. I just think that has to be the case from the outset. You know, and a lot of the work that we do, we just take a product lifecycle management approach to it. So from building to testing to launching um, and iterating for any given product process or experience. And we have very clearly defined uh, accountabilities around who needs to act on that. Um, Like you mentioned, getting the product to launch is actually only half the job. 
Uh, so driving real value comes, you know, when you understand the lived experience created and be able to be flexible enough to continuously improve based on those insights. Um, but like I said, you know, ensuring there are clear accountabilities to drive continuous improvement. Uh, I think it's it's really important, but it's not a nice to have. Um, it is absolutely critical. I, I've seen, I've definitely seen a shift, and maybe this is dependent on an organisation's kind of operating model. Um, but product ownership, uh, we work in an agile construct for the most part of our organisation, and so having very clearly defined um, accountabilities uh, as product owners, I definitely see um, has been a way to embed that end to end, um, you know, thought around not not just getting to launch, but everything post-launch in terms of driving continuous improvement, because you're right, otherwise you've literally done half the job um, if you're not thinking about the embedding component. I mean, with that comes the necessity of really strong change management as well, though. Uh, and so the way in which you continue to listen to the experience that's been created and understanding um, you know, how you're tracking in terms of your success outcomes and metrics that you've defined, again, becomes really critical uh, in terms of uh, continuous improvement. And sometimes continuous improvement actually means shelving the product altogether. And that in itself, I think, is a real leadership demonstration when you've gone, actually, it didn't quite work the way that we had hoped for it to do so. Uh, and so, you know, that's, in my mind, that's just as important as knowing when to retire products uh, from off the shelf uh, as you look to kind of continue and, and you know, learn and, and build others. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's not something that we have spoken about much on the podcast before because, and actually I don't think it's something I've explored much with any clients or peers actually, because so often when it comes to retiring a product, it's, um, it's kind of, an evolution or a replacement with a better solution rather than it being a does this serve our employee experience anymore kind of conversation I think that's as you say that's a much harder conversation to have and especially if you were involved in the first round of implementation like it takes a bit of a hit to be like okay maybe this product doesn't work for us anymore or you know maybe we misjudge the you know, the problem statement, potentially, maybe we didn't go through that process. And actually, this isn't serving us in a positive way. I think I totally agree with you. It's it's that's a struggle. I would love to see more more of that, I think, in the EX sphere, because I, I worry. Otherwise, maybe we're missing opportunities for innovation, because we feel shackled to a, pro a product that we have, or because we're waiting for kind of, uh, I, I want to say an enhancement or an opportunity to upgrade, rather than replacing because it doesn't serve do you know do you know what I mean yeah yeah and I think you know having just like principally having a very data-driven experience led yet business focused outcome and take the emotion out of it I completely appreciate the point about uh you know if you feel that the degree of leadership that needs to come in should you choose to um remove something off the shelf because it no longer serves uh your employee base um it's it's just important it's just part of having um, again, go back to product lifecycle management. It's a healthy thing to do, um, and we probably could do more of it um, and more of it at pace. And I actually probably think that that is something that will continue to um, be the case going forward in terms of uh, in ability to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you talk about this in the product lifecycle space. And there are so many parallels, you're right, to managing an experience portfolio. Yeah, absolutely love that. 
just moving on to my last question for you, what kind of skills and competencies do you think are needed, particularly in the kind of people and culture HR space to shift towards this continuous improvement mindset, um, especially as it relates to employee experience investments? Yeah, I, th- I just think it has to be seen as an important future ready capability. We, we have it as a future ready capability under innovation and improvement for the whole organisation. So not just an accountability that sits uh, with HR. Um, and I think that's really important. And the way we like to kind of describe that um, is around how we seek to stimulate um, innovation by having a curious mindset um, and asking questions to understand, examining uh, assumptions and being able to take, you know, calculated risks and experimenting. Um, I think experimentation is so important uh, with a growth mind, you know, I'd have a really strong growth mindset. And we think about it both in terms of uh, mindsets and schools. So I might just give a couple of examples, actually, Sasha, in terms of the way in which we think about it. Um, and so when I think about mindsets, you know, it's the ability to take calculated risks. It's thinking about um, how people are uh, able to challenge kind of traditional ideas and thinking and loving to explore new ways to improve like customer outcomes um, and being able to actively challenge, you know, what people know and undertake new or different kind of experiences. In terms of skills, like a few of them probably to note is how people can really act with courage and confidence to confront um, existing thinking and practices, which I think we all as humans kind of, um, it's a way for us to uh, be really open-minded and use a level of kind of empathy in the way that you go about that. You know, experimenting and really actively kind of promoting ways to address future challenges. So again, not just getting, you know, caught in what's happening today, but what does it look like? Uh, into the future. Again, a big focus for us is around using human-centered design principles and tools to improve practices, not only for employee um, experiences, but obviously we're big believers uh, in terms of improving for employee experience, uh, the flow and impact as you're improving for, for customer experience as well. And so, again, firstly, if I just step back, a and organizations actually need to believe that that is an important capability for them to invest in and again we absolutely do um so from a mindset to schools for all employees and then what is it going to take to make really clear investments to build them so it's one thing uh, to articulate what they are but what again what's the learning experiences that you need to build out as an organization to support people uh, to be able to experiment freely be able to take calculated risks and i must admit that's We've been on a journey uh, in terms of how do you create that really safe space, especially when you work in an agile construct, working at pace, you know, quicker speed to delivery. Um, Sometimes you're not going to get everything perfect and it's more, you know, the saying progress over perfection. I think that's really important to embrace, um, you know, a a growth mindset and being able to continuously improve. But yeah, we've anchored that under innovation and improvement from a from a critical kind of future ready capability for all, all people in our uh, organization. I love that. And I think maybe less so now, but you know, the concept of innovation as a capability within the people and culture functional within HR, you know, I know we've come a long way, but I definitely think there are pockets, particularly here in Southeast Asia, where that is still a new concept and, you know, embracing human centered design thinking or, you know, as you touched on earlier, that kind of product life cycle approach to a HR technology or, you know, just the overall employee experience is quite is quite new. And I think sometimes people get a bit scared about it. Right. And I think it, for a lot of the 
and maybe this is another question for you for those listening to the podcast who are new to employee experience they work for maybe a slightly smaller organization or one that isn't quite there on that ex journey yet how do you think they can get started with human-centered design thinking you know what would you say would be step number one if they're establishing an ex function yeah i mean take using human-centered design what i would say is there's there's a lot out there for organizations to be able to tap into so i say don't think you need to start from scratch personally we leverage a lot of our templates off the luma institute uh, and we've actually had a big focus in terms of upskilling across the organization and human-centered design kind of principles and tools so uh, my first thing is you know to, if, if that's what you're going to invest in, which I'd strongly recommend that people do, and you haven't yet started, like just take a little bit of time to research because there's enough there's enough information out there to enable, even if it's a small smaller component of all of the tools in tech that's available. Like we, we kind of went for most things, um, but you know the the ability to kind of leverage from what already exists. So I just think start there uh, and then continue to build that out based on as you mature. Uh, your practice what else could you look to do in terms of um, creating you know those really strong human-centered design kind of practices and principles as well as it not just being a mindset around why that's so important but building that skill set out in your organization Mm, yeah great shout I love Luma I think it's fantastic Um, really great resource and a critical question for you are you a mural user or a mirror user Oh, that's a great question, Sasha. Big debates. Um, I will use both because I think they actually both enable a great way of collaborating at the moment. Again, in our way to rationalise our collaboration tools for us at this stage, it's Miro. Okay, interesting. That was that was a real politician's answer. I, I appreciate that. That was very safe. <laughs> um, no, they are both fantastic and, you know, long may the innovation in that space continue I say so either or perfect well thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for sharing such amazing insights and you know really steering us in a direction of challenging our existing thinking around employee experience and technology and the concept of continuous improvement so I love that and I've taken so much away from this and I hope everyone listening has as well so thank you so much and hopefully we'll get to chat to you again soon you're welcome thank you for having me Wow, what a great discussion. Um, I really loved that conversation with Casey. Laura, what did you think? So for anyone that is thinking, how would Laura know because she wasn't in <laughs> in the in the discussion? Um, I'm gutted that I missed it, actually. It was just um, a bit too early for me in the morning, now being back in the UK. But I did listen to the episode before it's going out for everybody else. So Um, I am able to comment. I think what I loved was when Casey talked about the product management mindset and when to retire products when they're no longer serving the needs that you originally had for it. Mm. And I think that's a, I thought that was a really great mindset to have because I think I've seen organizations often hold on to some of their tech because of money or legacy or the people were there that put it in are still <laughs> still in the organization um, and I just thought that was a really nice sort of lens to have to it and and again I think very sort of topical in terms of where we are at the moment and thinking about even the future of HR as a function that we do mm. need HR professionals to have more of a product management mindset. 
So I love that. What about you, Sasha? Yeah, definitely. All of the above. I really love that. And I think, you know, that's that's some serious inspiration for people establishing EX functions or looking at building out their EX team as well. I just think there is so much that we can learn with that kind of product management mentality. So I love that. There was so much and I took so many notes, but um, I guess the other thing that really stood out to me was she spoke briefly about moments of shared experience and how now that we've looked, you know, exclusively at customer experience, employee experience, looking at that intersection of experience, of experiences and how do you how do you design that with intent so whether it's shared experiences using the same technology you know those interactions those moments that matter I just thought that was amazing so I love that moments of shared experience and she also mentioned the total experience and I think that again just so many different nuggets of of wisdom and inspiration here so so grateful to Casey uh, for joining us and we will of course leave her LinkedIn Uh, profile below if you want to connect with her um, and just look out for her in in the EX and HR tech conference sphere. She was recently featured in a Forbes article, um, which again, I'll link in the the show notes below. Just such great insights, really using technology in a way that is super innovative and disruptive in this space. So love that. Loved having her on. And yeah, as always, like, subscribe, comment, let us know what you think, connect with us, and we will be back for episode six in a week's time. Bye. Bye.